It's time for Confessions of a Serial Salesman. Author, expert sales trainer, and serial entrepreneur Steve Noodleberg wants to help you change your life and your business using his 27 roles for influencers and leaders. This is the Confessions of a Serial Salesman podcast with Steve Noodleberg. Here's Josh Cohen. And welcome to yet another edition of the Confessions of a Serial Salesman, the podcast based on the book in hardcover, in paperback, in audiobook, and already to number 76. By the way, you and I have been dressing alike the last couple of weeks. We look like two-fifths of a boy band. We can actually get up and start entertaining this very moment. Last, we just do it. Yeah, last week we had on light t-shirts. I think I was in gray. You were in white. We had light jeans. This week we're both in black t-shirts and we're in darker blue it jeans. It was raining when I got dressed early this morning. It felt like a dark day, so I went with the uh, the the black t shirt, which is always good with jeans. And we either look you. like we look like either you know, like I said, two fists of a boys' band, <laughs> or we're going to introduce the latest Apple product. Nice. Like it's the unveil. One more thing, as, uh, one, as Steve Jobs used to say, as he wore the black t shirt. So so we've done seventy five of these. The last one was in fact really the most unique because you were the guest on your own podcast, and we got your backstory. And the understanding of you and who and how and where we are. And then today, we're going to flip the script and go especially meta. And that is because your guest today is going to be... You. Is going to be me. Yeah. You know what? Um, Like you said... Which is fascinating. We've done 75 of these. The last week's show was fantastic for a couple of different reasons because we have great guests all the time. We're always learning. But I did get people say, hey, Mm -hmm. you know, be nice if you kind of jumped in and we could hear so i gave you a lot of credit for the questions mm-hmm. thank you and over the and i co- give you the credit for the answers thank you yeah <laughs> and over the course of the 75 shows you know you've added so much in terms of content intellect direction well, thank you i've learned a lot from you mm-hmm. and i do get this question all the time they go who the hell is josh mm-hmm. <laughs> like what, what's his story and so it's perfect to flip it back I'll play you, you mm-hmm. play me, mm-hmm. and you're in the hot seat. Right. And I'm going to ask you some questions about, you know, so like, I'm really curious. Like, I know that your story is unique. Yeah, it is. But our yeah. audience does not. So right. why don't you, like, jump in the pool and tell us Absolutely. your story? Because I do use that as a lead-in mm-hmm. when I talk to people in general. Always. So it's very, what's your story? What's tell your me, story? So, so you and I, we both learn from other people. We learn that everyone has a story. And that's why you sit at the bar when you eat. You and totally. Michelle always. Because everyone's got a story, something to add, something to gain. And we can all benefit from knowing each other. So for me to be the guest, it's interesting because you and I were always similar along this path. And now I get to explain to your audience and your fans a little bit about, oh, that's where that comes from or that's where that is. So I'm a kid that grew up the youngest of three kids in upstate New York, two older sisters and myself. My parents both very involved in politics. Uh, my father was a Jewish man, one of just six, I believe, in a city of 20,000 people. Wow. So he was very much in the minority, but he was so beloved by all of the people because he was the most fair, kind, and decent human being to all peoples. Self-made, self-paid. My father was a Golden Gloves boxing champion who told me he had to learn how to fight because every day walking home from school, kids wanted to fight him because they said horrible things to him. About being about Jewish? Being, about being a Jewish kid in Troy, New no York. Kidding. This coming off of World War II. Wow. And so we'd be jumped four or five kids at a time. So his father, my grandfather, who I never had the opportunity to meet, said, you're going to learn how to fight. So I found a trophy in our basement one day, and it said Golden Gloves champion, 19, blah, blah, blah. And I said, Daddy, what is this? And he said, sit down. 
And he explained to me that he had to learn to fight, not wanting to fight, but he had to so he could just make it to and from school every day. Didn't know he'd get that good at it, but he became a Golden Gloves champion. Turns out to be great skill sets to know. Anyway, I've taken lots from boxing. Sure, of course, of course. So, um, youngest of three kids, um, when I was about seven years of age, we had dinner one night at the table, and out of nowhere, uh, my father said, your mother and I are getting divorced. And immediately, she got up, she packed a bag, she left. We didn't see her for weeks. And there's no internet, and there's no cell phones, and there's no pagers, and none of that. So now I'm in a single-parent household, and how did all this just happen? So mom out the picture about, like I said, about seven-ish or so, and then we reconnected, and we would see her occasionally from time to time, but necessarily being a parent wasn't her prime objective in life. It wasn't necessarily what she wanted to do. Which is okay. People take their own path. Right. Their own way of doing it. Some folks, it's like they live for, and then other folks, not as much. So long story short, my father was a self-made, self-paid man. He only had one older brother who was 10 years older than he. My father had lost his mother when he was nine years of age. And my grandfather, turned out, ran a newsstand, which was code for he had his own bookie operation. Love it. So Love my, it. there comes the good stuff. So the grandfather apparently was just doing well enough to get by. But my father, you know, grew up really on his own. And so he finished school early, graduated, I think, at 16. And then he worked three jobs to go to college, graduated early, put himself through law school, working three jobs, graduated that early, and then decided that, you know, life isn't going to give you what you want. It'll often give you what you deserve, but you got to make your own way. So he did. And he began a law practice and he defied the odds and he made things happen. But what he always was, was a model of fairness and decency to all people. And the great gift that he had that he passed on to me was the ability to remove your biases, your wants and your own personal feelings and just be fair and see things for what they are. Whether it's being self-accountable. Not the easiest thing to do by any stretch. No, because all of us say, oh, I think the Cowboys are going to the Super Bowl. Do you really believe that or are you a Cowboys fan? Right. And when you're arguing with your significant other, are you able to say, you're right, I was wrong, no further conversation. You know, to remove your own personal bias, um, which is a skill that we could all benefit from in entrepreneurship, in relationships, in friendship, and in business. For you, because how many times in business do people go broke because what they want to be the outcome is clearly not going to be the actual outcome? Well, pride and ego, Correct. all those things get in the way Correct. of what is really happening in front of you. Correct. So my dad is raising my two older sisters and I, and then he gets sick and he doesn't get better. And on his 46th birthday, he dies from cancer. And so he was a self-made city judge, again, Six families, six six men that were Jewish in this town of 20 plus thousand people. And he got all of the black and Hispanic vote and the Italian vote and the working class Irish vote and the German vote. And then the because rich Because of his ability to be fair? I mean, is that because, safe to say? Because he was so good to the people wow. and times would do legal work for folks and ask nothing in return. The woman had a legal bill and she would cry. My father would say, do you don't no, no. And then she'd say, I want to bake you lasagna. And he'd say, that's perfect. Uh, no, this is not, you know, 1750. You know, this is 1983. And he's taking lasagna that's and, awesome. you know, in trade yeah. For, yeah. for legal work. So, um, so my father being a public figure, um, is city judge, self-made in that role. The whole city came out for his memorial service. And the flag was at half staff at City Hall. What? And then I woke up that day and realized I'm now the man of the family. I'm a little kid, but I got to play grown up and walk through the line with the state troopers and the you know military officials with their rifles crossed and they fold the flag and they hand it to you. It's like being John Kenny Jr., just a few years older. 
So thank God instilled in me was what's right from what's wrong. And I think a lot of people in business and in their lives, they know what's right and they know what's wrong, and yet they still choose to do the wrong thing. Right? I mean, we all do that. We're all human. We all err. I, I think people in general know right from wrong. Right. I, I agree. So if you in business and in life are able to know right from wrong, you got a huge head start on those that don't. I like that. Because if you don't know right from wrong and you make mistakes, that's called being a kid. But once you learn it, you got to know it. So everything that I needed or was going to need in terms of how to be a young man, how to be a man, how to be successful um, in life had to be instilled, programmed in me before my father left this earth. My mother lived three plus hours away, and of course she was in our lives, but I haven't lived with a parent in the household since middle school. Wow. So I was the kid through, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, yeah, It makes grade. you grow up fast. It makes you grow up fast, and it also makes you get your priorities in order and get your bleep together. It forces you because the expectations are you know what's expected of you, and that's stay out of trouble, graduate high school go to college, graduate college, and make something of your life. So we knew that's what I had to do. My core group of friends, there were five of us through, you know, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. Of the five, only two of us graduated high school. Really? Two went to prison. Uh, three never graduated high school, never got any college education. Two of us graduated high school, and then one of us only actually graduated college, and that would be me. Those guys had two parents. They had dinner served. They had their clothes clean. Sometimes the road is too easy. I guess. Right. Or right? no accountability. You know, I mean, those are, those are definitely themes that, that start young. You learn how to do laundry when your T-shirts wind up pink because you wash your reds with your whites. Whoops. You, you know, you <laughs> learn time management when you have to, if you will. So my path was one that was very untraditional. I didn't realize it because you're a kid. You don't realize that, you know, you realize they have parents at home and you realize that dinner is served and holidays and family gatherings. And you realize that they're having their clothes clean for them and placed on the end of their bed. And I'm the one that would write myself a note that said, uh, you know, to the to principal's office, to the secretary, uh, please excuse uh, me for being late. I had a dentist appointment and the office wow. knew, but they knew, they knew who my father was and they knew my life circumstance. So it wasn't a pass. So your sisters were older, I'm assuming? My si- well, no, my sister's four years older than I am. Okay. Right, but so she's college, you know, still going to college at this time. And then, you know, she's uh, playing parental uh, guidance, I guess, in a sense. Yes, she was my legal some guardian. Figure, li- some figure that. Right, but she right. wasn't living in the house. So the bills were paid. The, the heat stayed on, the light stayed on. But it was my sister was merely two years older than I. But as far as emotional development, uh, probably five years younger than I. This explains a lot, my friend. It, it sure does. And I was much more mature, and I was much more, um, uh, I guess, what's it? Well, trying to find an appropriate term. I was much more mature and responsible at the age of 16. Well, you had to be. Than I am, no, you know, no. nearly three decades later. <laughs> you, you had to be. Right. And what's interesting hearing that is that a lot of the people who have faced major obstacles are the ones who learned how to do it, overcame it, right. and then that became the lesson of how they achieved greatness in their life because they were able to do it. I, I think we all have to learn to find a way. Find a way. Figure it. it out. Find a way. And if you know right from wrong, try really hard to do right. And if there are expectations made of you, and it wasn't selfish. It's not a football father raising his kid to be a star quarterback. It was merely my father knowing, son, you're observant, and son, you're smart, and son, you're quick wit. Do things with this for good. Help others when you can. Make a difference. A single parent with three 
kids, two daughters and a young son who was volunteering on this board, volunteering with that, sitting on this board, helping all these causes, volunteer fire department, became a volunteer firefighter because he thought he could do more to help all of them, um, taking time away from him being able, he would come home from work, he would be exhausted, he would unbutton his top button on, you know, the Oxford shirt, he would loosen the tie, he would uh, crack open a bottle of Molson, take that first sip and go, <sighs> like as if the day was behind and now here we go. But he would call home and say, tell your sister, set the table, tell your sister to, uh, she's got to make the salad, you unload the dishwasher, I'll be home in 30 minutes. And we made it work. But then here you are and you realize, okay, now I've got to make it work for myself. And for me, getting to college would be the finish line, not the starting gate. But it would mean that I survived not getting in trouble, not getting arrested, not failing out of high school. I could just get, if I got to college, I knew that then I could start a whole new life and be normal like all the other kids that didn't know my life circumstance. So so normal, there really isn't no normal. No, there is no normal. We know, you know, that's, you know, that behavior, those habits that you created early on, you know, self-sufficiency is, you know, such a great skill set that a lot of people never get. They're always attached to somebody else because they're looking to blame. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm. in hindsight, you look back and you go, it's me or me. Right. It's not the way you would have dealt the hand. Right. But, you know, what? You know, one of the things, you know, I love hearing stories like this because it does show that when you're pressed up against it, I mean, you didn't really have a choice. Mm-hmm. What was your choice at that point? Right. You know, you said, okay, you know, well, I could cry about it. I right. could... You know, well, it was I, drugs. I guess you could have gone bad. Yeah, right, there, there was right. drugs and crying like the other kids were doing. Right. And, you know, I only have three cousins because my father had the one brother. He's still alive, by the way. He's 90 years old. Wow. And so his kids are. Are these all Cohen's? Uh, that, yeah, that's it. That's wow. it. And there's there's one other, nice. you know, Cohen cousin. But they wound up having kids and those kids had drug issues and dependency and had to go to rehab and these issues. And you start to think if life is too good, too easy, I guess you can bleep up. And if you have nothing to, you have to just figure it out and do it, then you're going to be a good boy. Now, it's not to say I wasn't drinking beers my senior year of high school. Right. Of course I was. We weren't having gatherings of our friends, but I was responsible, uh, self-accountable, and my eye was on the prize. Stay out of trouble. Everybody's watching you. They're talking about you. Get to college and go ahead and then start a normal, if you will, existence. So what's interesting is that, you know, when I, I, I always analyze and learn from entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and always says, well, you know, people always ask me, well, what's the code? You know, how do you become an entrepreneur? You, you really don't. It's just sort of it's in internal sure. and inherent. And, and you were an entrepreneur at a very young age. Mm-hmm. So why don't you share like some of your sure. entrepreneurial efforts and maybe tie that together how you know, your life circumstances led you to, absolutely. Well, if I'm already doing it, I might as well do it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? um, so the Champion athletic brand is hot now. Champion sweatshirts oh my God, are sure, yeah. $65. When I was a kid, Champion was the brand. It was a local brand, you know, Rochester, New York, what have you. Um, is Champion, that where it was based? I, I, that they had the outlets there. They okay. had the, the, the overflow right. there. So Champion was the stuff that you bought because you didn't have money. to. I didn't have the money for Nike stuff. Okay. You know, at that point, but I had the money for champion stuff. Those sweatshirts were twelve bucks. So there was this man. He was an old circuit court judge, and he lived <laughs> in the he lived in the boonies. He lived in the woods in the middle of a farmland, and he would get all the surplus champion stuff that would come off a truck, and then he would let people buy stuff out of his garage. So I would go picking through the bins on Wednesday when I was sixteen years old and find the Notre Dame stuff and find the big college program stuff, the half T-shirts, the T-shirts, sweatshirts, and I would buy it from him for five bucks, six bucks. He'd say, I tell you what, you get 10 of these, and we'll do them at eight bucks a piece or whatever, and then I would bring them back to high school, 
and then I would sell them to the other kids at 100% markup. So you were the early Amazon. I was the early yeah. Amazon. Yeah, you know, that is, <laughs> I mean, Gary Vee talks about a business model is find things to buy that people want, buy right. them cheap, sell them for more money, and you're in business. The, so, the big brands, you know, the big college awesome. programs, that's I would great. buy those t-shirts, sweatshirts, awesome. and, and then I would have 100% markup, and I would sell them at high school. You know, today, hey, I heard you got, and I'd keep them in my locker, and during lunch break, he'll give me 10 bucks for the $5 <laughs> t-shirt. And it's so funny because the Notre Dame brand was universal everybody sure. wanted a sure. notre dame something so sure. you know that i remember georgetown was the same way absolutely i had a lot of champion georgetown stuff. Champ- champion was you know <laughs> champion was the, the basic brand right it would be like you would find at kmart perhaps and now you know it's funny how things come full circle when i got to college i realized there was a need for fake ids and by that i mean i needed a fake id to get into the bars like everybody else on the lacrosse team like all my other buddies etc and i did use the game of lacrosse to keep me out of trouble to get me on recruiting trips to colleges and get me to go to college. I owe a lot to the game of lacrosse because I probably would have wound up bleeping up like my buddies if not for the game and the idea of going to college, playing. Which is true of a lot of student athletes. Sure, sure. It gave them that discipline, that camaraderie. that. You know. I, but I needed, I think, that to, to say, hey, this is how we're going to get to college, and you're going to get that, you know, the team jacket, you know, the team hoodie, like you see these, you know, cool college kids wearing, et cetera. And lacrosse was not a popular game. Well, where I'm from. It was from, Northeast. Right. You know, yeah, I'm from, Syracuse. Right. Around there. But, you know, you came to Florida. I moved to Florida when I was 14. There was no lacrosse. But what it was was it was the hotbed. It was like like being a high school football star here, right. Pahokee, or in Texas. So uh, uh, all the schools wanted you. The Maryland schools with the Pennsylvania school, Maryland, they right. all, the Virginia schools wanted you. If you were, you know, balling out in Geneva, New York, then you, you had options. And so my whole high school lacrosse team, we all got to go to college because of the game. We all got to get, you know, there's kids in my high school graduating class that had never seen the ocean. There were kids that had never been on an airplane. Let, you know, let alone get well, a chance. Kenny to, and I were just talking about that. It's, it's a know, very real thing. The younger generation now, I mean, his kids are three. They've been to Germany already. They, they're global. <laughs> right. <and then> some. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so I started in college um, manufacturing fake IDs. We figured out how it was that you created a board that you could stand under with forced perspective and a Polaroid, and I could create for you fake IDs so you can get into bars, New Jersey, Vermont. And, we, and I, so I, the entrepreneurial ship there was... There's a need for this, right? Let's fill that need. As opposed to creating a product that you got to sell others on, this is something that they need. Now, it is illegal, right, because you're producing false identification, but who cares? You're 18 well, years old. the mindset was probably people were going to buy them anyway. Right. You might as well be the one that supplies and when, them. And when it's over, it's over, but right. you're not selling drugs. So I, I manufactured fake IDs using a Polaroid, a laminating machine. It's and, innovative. And, and figuring out the right font size next to someone's head so the letters had to be four inches big so when the photograph, it looked like they were to scale. Right. If you were going to do fake IDs, you had to do really good fake IDs. I mean, right. So, of course. You know, otherwise, that it, business would go away. Yeah, if the dude's not getting in the, you know, the bars <laughs> with it, and there you right. go. And the thing is, all of a sudden, the bouncers you know, realize, why is everyone from Vermont all of a sudden? So, okay, time to change. But it's so interesting that you zero back in on need, right. solution. Need, solution. And the best businesses are, I see something that no one else sees. Right. I can figure out the solution. And there, hence, you know, you have a business. The best inventions are improving on an existing idea. Still to this day. Right? The, be- the, the best way to be successful is to identify a need and fill that. And have the ability to, and this is where your self-sufficiency probably came in, not need anybody else's validation to say, mm-hmm. you can do this. Okay, right. I can do it. There was, so, there, so, there was no one else. So, so I know one <laughs> of the other uh, things, you know, that you, you've mentioned in the past is this uh, Disney 
model what's disney model? Model? what's the disney model? so i am a freshman in college and i'm doing a term paper thesis on the disney model the walt disney model and it was fascinating to me because i started to realize what it meant the term the sum is greater than its parts this was a guy who drew a cartoon mouse and today that cartoon mouse incorporates espn abc Massive. the entire film Massive. the entire television the entire merchandise the entire theme park it's a, it's a universe beyond itself and what it was was this guy this walt disney guy was sketching this mouse and then the mouse the cartoon but it was at the right time the television so they had the films before television became popular but then when television became popular they had programming for that so then they built the theme parks and at the theme park you could experience the movie and the tv show was a commercial you didn't realize it the whole time for the theme park and then when you got off the ride you could bring home stuff from the movie, the TV show, the theme park. So basically, one plus one plus one equaled six. How do we get to that number? Because each part promotes the other part, and there that synergy created is greater than the sum of its parts. So I realized, hey, if I know this person, and if I know that person, if I do a little bit of that, a little bit of that, then connecting like you and I do, it creates something greater than beyond. So that's fascinating, because we've never really gone down that road, but that's exactly what connecting at scale is you know i remembered it was like the game of concentration you know i would like look at the number over here and then it would go away for a while and then it would open up here and you'd mm-hmm. remember where the other one was that the old rem- tv game show right well yeah. so remembering people and what they said to you oh here's what i'm looking for then they go away and, and disney did it at scale which was incredible the disney model to me means realizing how a project can now give birth to another project that they both promote each other, support each other, and the monster feeds itself. Right. The, so, so you're this idea of spontaneous combustion to the degree of eternal motion. You know, uh, how is it that the one thing actually serves to promote the other thing, but creates another empire, another entity within itself? So it's you know you're very smart and over the course of the 75 shows you've shined in you know with some great comments about branding and how businesses are run one of the interesting things is you know mcdonald's you know means a lot of different things to people but until they meant hamburgers Mm -hmm. you know once they became hamburgers in people's minds then they could mean french fries and coffee and chicken and all the other things and disney was really good at that too you know you can't be everything until you're something correct and so that's... that's but on McDonald's, but take McDonald's for a second. There's lots of places to get hamburgers. So then they created the children's character, Ronald McDonald. Ronald McDonald, and then they that's where I was going. That's his exactly friends. right. And with his friends, they then created this idea of, hey, this is a place to come and play. It's not just a place to eat. Because um, there's lots of places to well, eat. Well, naming it a Happy Meal the happy was meal, insanely brilliant. The Happy you know? Meal borrowed the business model of if we put a toy inside this cereal right. the kid's going to want the toy who cares what the cereal it is it became an event you know which, it's which, an experience which is what disney did so you know relating exactly. it back he created experiences that the minute one of those other touch points didn't match up mm-hmm. the disney model's over disney model was hey here's a movie right with these animated characters If we could build a place where families could go and eat and drink and buy and experience, they're experiencing the movie, which then promotes that television, the wonderful world of Walt Disney, which really people thought was entertainment. It was a 30 to 60 minute infomercial to watch the movies. 
to go to the new Disney movies, to go to the theme parks, so you could then buy all their merchandise, trade in your money for Disney dollars, which you wind up bringing home. Think about that. People gave, here's $200 in cash. Give me $200 in Disney bucks because Goofy and Mickey are on. They wind up going home with 100 bucks in fake paper, right? Disney won that battle. Totally. But, but it's each piece serves to complement and promote the other. The Disney model to me, and we employ it every day. We, you and I do in our, in our daily dealings of, hey, um, I created this magazine feature, but it's also going to promote business partners of ours at ESPN West Palm. Ah. And promote you and the right. liquor company and what you're drinking. And so everything Correct. has many, many layers Isn't that to interesting? how it works. It really, it really is. I never broke it down into that. Um, one of the, the other things about Disney is that uh, he originally was told that he was had no imagination. Yeah, can you imagine? Which is that? Can you? Right. I was like, you know, like the Beatles weren't good in music, but they got turned um, down by. Yeah. So you have a philosophy mm-hmm. called um, create, right. not apply. Correct. Create, not apply. Don't don't look for jobs on Monster. Don't go looking for these kids today in our intern program. Oh, here apply as it means job. Apply oh, for jobs. Oh, I love that. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Instead of thinking about, ooh, are they hiring? Is anyone hiring? Why don't you create your own position? Why don't you think about something unique you can create that does something that's of value to someone you can partner with? And by that, I mean create your own job that doesn't already exist. And how would that be feasible, sustainable? Well, to that company you'd want to partner with, it would A, need to make them money, B, make that decision maker look good, C, make that decision maker's job easier. If you can do those things, congratulations, you created a job. I've been in broadcast, television, and radio almost a quarter of a century now. I'm an old guy, believe it or not. Quarter of a century. I've never had a job that existed before I started doing it. I invented the television program, packaged it. I created a reporter correspondent job for the television show I was on initially. It didn't exist. I created this home team show and then pitched it to the company preceding and this company because there was value that was perceived by the companies to partner. They saw that, A, they could generate greater revenue off it than they had to compensate me. So as a result, wow. they're creating your own opportunities. Stop waiting for an opportunity. Create your own. So, so it's interesting is I think that that's part of the education of how people are, I'm going to go to high school, I'm going to go to college, and then I'm going to find a job. I'm going to apply. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look you know, for these so jobs. So I think that's inherent in how people are trained. When, you know, I found out when I was in a job, I was unemployable. Mm. I, I, I still am. I, I don't, I didn't want to be listening to somebody else when I thought it was right or I had the, the gut or the instinct to do something. I don't mind collaboration, Damn. but, but if I'm right, I want to jump in the pool. I want to jump. There you go. And, and that's, you know, that's a fascinating part of entrepreneur because I didn't want to apply to mm-hmm. something. I, I didn't want to see, okay, I'm round and, and you're going to try and put me in a square uh, that's I think more and more uh, people are and so that's fascinating that you actually it's a mindset of hey you know maybe there's a job you know at the hospital and I understand that but if you're creative like you and I are there's no reason why you can't create the job for yourself as opposed to simply applying for the ones that are listed help wanted you know one of the guys that was on our, our guests early on was Warren Struhl, of course. And probably time to have him back but he looked at you know, all the way that people live their lives. Mm-hmm. And like, so his first business was in, you know, paper. His second business was in popcorn, the way that people, you know, so he, that's all part of that. He did, it wasn't there. He created a bagged popcorn business mm-hmm. that didn't exist before that. How about that? And so, you know, your methodology, 
uh, which flows right into dream it, then do it. Yeah. Because if you can't dream it, right, it, then it's how, how do you get it done? So half the people, half the time, uh, can dream it. And then a quarter of those people can actually go ahead and do it. Because we all have ideas, but those that actually see them through, those that go and make it happen, knock on the doors, make those phone calls, bust their ass, they're the ones you see that achieve success. I am a dreamer, and I'll admit I slack a lot on the do it part. I oftentimes pass that dream on to others. They do it, and I'm happy to see them succeed. But the most important part of that isn't the initial idea. It is that blood, that sweat, that tears, busting your ass, finding a way to actually do it. There, the success lies in the do it. Great, you had a great idea. Now get it done. So, so it's you know I live in this world every day, and so when you bring up stuff like this, it always stirs me. I had lunch with Joe Mullings on mm-hmm. uh, Sunday. He and I are incubating something that we think we could solve a problem, but we bring very different skill sets to it. Sure. And what I do, um, he he doesn't do, and what he does, I don't do. Yin and Yang. And, and well, we, we talk about the Reese's peanut butter, you know, chocolate, chocolate and right. peanut butter. Right. You know, somebody thought to put those two together, <laughs> and for me, the, the, the greatest wins are the ones where you collaborate. Of course. Because I... One of the challenges in my business forever was that I wanted to be the front guy, not the the back guy. Mm. You know, the guy who's executing in, internally, which is always significant. And when you say, you know, I'm the guy out in front of it, thinking of it, dreaming of it, doing it, nothing happens until you have that guy. Mm. It's when you match up mm-hmm. with somebody who can actually have the same passion and joy for doing it yep. than dreaming it. I wasn't that guy. I wasn't the... If you're not the doer, find one. Right. It's be a, the dreamer, you know, but then the doer to finish. And that could be the life lesson of all of the things that we've done, that I've done in entrepreneurism is that, you know, or entrepreneurialism is that finding the right teammates and the right, you know, puzzle a great point. is always great. It's a great so point. So what, what is the movie Castaway have to do with all of this? Yeah, we're running short on time here, so okay. we're going to wrap after this. Um, the movie Castaway, the year Boy, 2000. T- Tom Hanks, the year 2000 Castaway. People see it as a guy gets stranded on an island and then his girlfriend gives up on him, he gets back, and life is sad. Watch it again and watch it a third time. That is a story about fate and destiny. The whole movie, for those that don't remember it, Helen Hunt was never supposed to be his soulmate. It was always supposed to be the redheaded chick that lived at the ranch where he delivered the package. The one package he never opened when he was stranded on that island, using everything else he could. He was always supposed to bring that package to her because that was always his destiny. But the movie itself is about find a way. Find a way. Figure it out. Just like my life experience, find a way. And he sits in his friend's living room toward the end of the film and he explains over a glass of scotch and the fire in the fireplace that, you know, he couldn't even, he had control over nothing. He couldn't even figure out or find out how to end his life. He knew he was going to get sick. He was going to die somehow on that island by himself. No one would ever find him. And then one day, the tide brought him a sail. It wasn't a real sail. It was a porta pot that was broken. Right. But he used it as a sail to get off. He, he saw the it island. as a sail. That's great. And he said to his friend in the living room right there, he lost his girl, right? Because she had married someone else. But it was never his destiny. He didn't realize that to the very end of the movie when he saw the redhead that wow. lived at the ranch where he went. But he said, but I got to keep breathing. I got to keep breathing because tomorrow the sun will rise and who knows what the tide might bring. So everyone remember, figure out today, stay alive like Hank's on that goddamn island. Figure it out, keep breathing. But then tomorrow, maybe your sail shows up with the tide. 
And if it's not tomorrow, maybe it's the next day. And then you can get to where it is that you need to be. Just remember that what you believe your fate is, you have to pay attention to the signs of the universe because it's going to let you know. The design on that, remember the stamp on the package on the UPS, uh, uh, the FedEx box? Right. That was the ranch that he had to deliver to. And when he delivered it, that's where he found his fate. Right. The, uh, that is a drop the mic one, dude. I mean, that is Go watch fantastic. Movie I'm going to watch it tonight. Love it. Because I love learning from movies. Yeah. I write about it in the book. That I never made that correlation. No one does. No one does. And, you know, now that you no brought it, I want to watch it again. I want to go down that road. And that's an amazing lesson. The so. universe is speaking to us. Hey, um, thanks to me. I mean, uh, you. I mean, us. <laughs> us. This was strange. This, <laughs> it was, was a fast 32 minutes. But this was. This was uh, thank you for allowing me to be a guest on your podcast. Listen, the, the greatest part about what we've done here is that, again, it's that same thing. You do things I don't do. When I first started doing this, yep. I, I, you know, there's a lot of podcasts. Um, we're creating good content. You know, every week I get people hit me and they go, that was great. You come up with a gem. I come up with a gem. I write a lot of them down. So I have a whole thing that could turn out to be a book one day. Just of the the little sayings that have come out of this from uh, our guests and from you. And so it's been tremendous. I love it. I thought this was really cool. I could have gone on, you know. If we had aha moments. Yes, we did. And it was just the two of us. What do you say next time we have an actual guest? We do. We actually right, have a, <laughs> a, a great friend, a, a great client of mine, a client of the radio station, um, um, Andrew Sassen from Recovery Unplugged. Fantastic. So he's a really, really cool entrepreneur. Started in another place and wound up doing this. Fascinating concept, what it is they do. Oh, and incredible. We'll, we'll learn about that in episode 77. That's correct. All right. Tell us something good as we wrap this up. A very interesting episode 76. It is, uh, it is Tuesday here in Palm Beach. And on Friday, we will be in Orlando watching the Gator. Oh, that's right. So it's Gator weekend, opening football uh, weekend. I'm excited about football. I don't know about Hell you. Yeah. I'm what glad do you think? it's back. I'm, I'm just so excited. You know what? I, it is a big part of my life, my boys, everything. And so we'll and be your with son, Jake. Your son's on that staff. We'll be with Jake. You know, on the sidelines will be with my grandson who's coming into town to, to see the game. We'll be with my grandfather. So we'll have everybody, with my dad rather, we'll have the whole uh, Mishbuka there. What's better than that? It's all Nothing, good, man. Nothing's better good. than that. A Gator win would be good. That's what? <laughs> a Gator win. A Gator win would be good. Uh, hurricanes in, in Florida, Saturday night, 7 p.m. Yes, sir. And the whole family will be together. Uh, let's do this again. Let's do. Let's go for 77. And then we leave this and get right on a plane to Dallas. So it's... Uh, it's important to us. It's important to you. Thank you, brother. It's good to uh, it's good to be wanted. Oh, it's yeah. good to be needed. Yes, sir. Steve Nudelberg, Josh Cohen saying thank you for listening. Uh, we will catch you next time. And Kenny time. and Shay. And, of course, those guys on the Confessions of a Serial Salesman, the podcast. So long, everybody.